Our gracious God, we thank you that you have set a table before us, that you have a meal for us to partake in. Partake in. We, we know that you have led us here to this place to receive your word. And Lord God, we need a word for the people's pain. That there are people here today that are hurting. There are people that are living in the midst of trouble and trials. And there are people here, Father God, that you brought here to restore their soul. So speak into us now. May your Holy Spirit move across this congregation. May this be the house of the Lord this morning. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. When the other services, I showed a, an opening video of a movie called Money Pit. Now, we have a challenge when we show a movie like that in live stream as it kicks us off of Facebook. So, so I'm going to pull the plug on it so we can have a presence there with the message. But, but you remember the movie, it's about a couple who buy a country estate for a song, a real deal. But soon the doors start falling off the hinges. The staircases tumble down. The bathtub falls to the floor. It's a real pit. And it doesn't take long until the relationship starts to fall apart. It's no fun to have a home that's falling apart. We all want a suitable dwelling place and not live in the middle of disaster. Do you feel like your life is falling apart? One disaster after another? Maybe you feel like you have nothing to offer, no real value, no potential. But throughout this sermon series on Fixer Upper, we've declared the truth that God has the power to radically change us, to fix us, and to turn our disasters into his masterpieces. The reality here this morning that all of us are fixer-uppers, and I'm grateful for what God is doing to transform me and what God is do doing to transform you into becoming the person God wants us to be. One of the reasons the community in the world disconnects with church is because we pretend like everything's okay and there are no problems and everything's fixed in our life. But the people that see us live our lives, they know that's not true. And when we own that and admit that all of us are sinners except by the grace of God, all of us are a work in progress, then we start being impactful in the community. Now, the 23rd Psalm is one of the most well-known chapters in the Bible. I imagine that many of us here can quote the 23rd Psalm. And looking back, I don't believe in all my years of ministry I've ever preached a sermon on the 23rd Psalm. Now, I've read it plenty of times at funerals. I've shared it with people whose lives were falling apart. And I'm not sure I've ever preached a message on the 23rd Psalm. But for this series, Fixer Upper, I love how the psalm ends, how what David says. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord. No better place to be than the house of the Lord. And I remind all of us that these houses that we have are just temporary. These houses that we have will one day fall into the ground. It's important that we have a house that lasts forever. The house of the Lord. Now, to dwell in the house of the Lord means that I abide with him. It means that we have fellowship with him. It means that we worship him, not just on Sundays, but all the time. To dwell in the house of the Lord means I stay near to him. And I believe that in this psalm that David tells us, if we will dwell with the Lord, not just here on Sunday in the Lord's house, but we'll make our house his house, then we can discover the secret to contentment. We can find some real rest. Anybody here need some rest? You know, when you dwell in the house of the Lord, he promises to give you rest, provision, protection in his presence. And it's not just some pie-in-the-sky future tense house of the Lord. I believe it's right now that God wants to dwell with us now. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I've, in the midst of a Bible study, uh, leading a Bible study on the 23rd Psalm, so I've been reading it and learning a lot about sheep and shepherds and two great resources for you if you want to dig deeper into the 23rd Psalm. Philip Keller has a great book called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. Max Licato has a great devotional read called Safe in the Shepherd's Arms. The Lord is my shepherd. F.B. Meyer in his commentary says, David's autograph is on every verse of the 23rd Psalm because David the king did not forget David the shepherd. David the king knew what it was to be a shepherd. He knew what it was to live among sheep. David knew the Lord personally as his shepherd, and he knew that he would not be where he was in life without the guidance of the good shepherd, the great shepherd. The shepherd had led him, had guided him, had protected him, and had corrected him. Now, we like the leading part. We like the guiding part. We like the protection part, but where we struggle is with the correction part. But the good shepherd will always correct us when we need it. You know, the first step in turning around a disaster, fixing the mess in your life, is to invite Jesus, the good shepherd, into your life. I believe, I know that he can help you clean up the mess. He can lead you out of trouble, and he can guide you through the disaster. Isaiah wrote it this way, He will feed his flock like a shepherd, he will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother's sheep with their young. Today, some of you need to let God put his arms around you. The great shepherd. That was amazing. Yesterday afternoon, I had left Publix, and I was going to go on Charter Oaks Road, I believe, that goes to Lexington High School. As I pulled out, 
I quickly noticed there was some confusion on Charter Oaks. The traffic was stopped going both directions and moving very slowly. There were people in the, in, in the side of the road, running on the side of the road. And they eased along and, and lo and behold, this is honest to goodness, a, a sheep and two baby lambs is walking down the middle of Charter Oaks Drive. Now, I was like, really, God? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm preaching on this tomorrow. And I thought for a moment, I thought for a moment to get out and take a picture, whatever. Then I thought, yeah, then he was going to preach on the good shepherd, but he got ran over on Charter Oaks Road. <laughs> but I did use my vehicle to, to, to slow down enough and to stop this side so that the, the mother sheep and the two lambs could cross right in front of me. And I didn't think quick enough to get my camera out and picture, phone out and take a picture. Let me tell you what, though. That was one lost sheep and two lambs. She was confused. It was chaotic. And a catastrophe was about to happen. And I got to watch her run off into the edge of the woods and three or four people chasing after this, this uh, sheep with two lambs. Maybe you feel like that today. You're where you're not supposed to be. It's chaos. It's confusion in your life, and you're on the edge of a catastrophe. And all kinds of voices are calling at you, all kinds of people trying to help you. There's only one person that can help you, and that's the good shepherd. There was no shepherd on Charter Oaks Road yesterday, just some strangers trying to help a lost sheep and two lambs. The good news is today the good shepherd is here and he wants to pick you up. He wants to guide you. He wants to help you. And I believe when we trust in the good shepherd, he wants us to dwell in a place of contentment, not discontentment. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. This great shepherd knows what we need. He knows our hearts. In fact, Samuel said, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. It was kind of funny yesterday on Charter Oaks Road, but I guarantee you that little sheep and little lamb's hearts were beating wildly. God knows the condition of your heart, no matter what things look like on the outside. The Apostle Paul gives us some great advice. He says, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have, you know, that, that uh, mother sheep must have felt there was greener grass on the other side of Charter Oaks Road. She was in search for it. But Paul says, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, isn't it safe to say that contentment is not our nature? We are a wandering people, oftentimes discontented. And I believe that in order to find contentment, it requires transformation of our hearts by listening and learning and trusting the voice of the great shepherd in good times and in bad times, trusting his guidance and trusting his correction. The secret to our contentment is choosing who over what. 
who over what. I can do everything through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. You know, contentment is about being grateful and not regretful. Too oftentimes we spend our energy being regretful and not being grateful. Contentment is not about comparison. If you live a life of comparison, you'll never find contentment because you'll never have enough because somebody will always have more than what you have. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says it this way, enjoy what you have rather than chasing and desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless like chasing the wind. Anybody here struggle with chasing the wind? That's discontentment. Chasing the wind, thinking the grass is greener, having the nicest fixer-upper on the block, chasing the perfect life, yet living with impossible schedules, schedules so full that we can't find time just to listen to the voice of the shepherd. Loud TVs and even louder commercials. And then sometimes men, women, we're guilty of bringing our messes, our disasters home with us, causing things to go crazy, leading to anxiety and increased tension, forgetting that the Lord dwells with us letting those disasters and frustrations and messes consume us and even destroy us. I've shared before that I grew up in a broken home and it wasn't the place I wanted to be. It wasn't a place I wanted to bring my friends to. It was, it was, a, it was a house that needed fixing and I didn't know how. I was 14 but I knew I wasn't at peace. There was something missing in my life. There was something missing in my home. And then I met the good shepherd. I met Jesus and he helped me realize what I was missing in my life. And with his help, I began to follow and search for greener pastures and still waters. And today I'm blessed, grateful to dwell not just in a nice house, but also in a home, a home full of grace and peace. Now, not a perfect place because there's imperfect people that live there, me <laughs> and the family. It's not perfect, but it's a home where the Lord dwells and there's grace and peace there. You know, the Bible defines anxiety as scattered thinking, being distracted, being divided, not knowing what to do, which way to go. Someone said it's stewing without doing, right? You've done that, right? Stewing without doing. Just kind of overwhelmed. What do I do in this situation? But contentment is trusting God in the moment. Learning to live in the moment, to enjoy the moment. We struggle with enjoying the moment. I listened to a little blog by a Catholic priest earlier this week by the name of Richard Rohr. He talked about something he'd learned, and I, it really spoke to me. He says, the reason that you and I struggle with contentment and living in the moment, now I'm a planner, I'm a dreamer, I love to do that stuff, but there's got to be a time when we just live in the moment. 
experience the goodness of the moment. He says the reason we struggle with that is because we're always doing one of two things. We're dragging up the past, the last five minutes. We can't let the last five minutes go. You know what that's like, right? Just had a sharp word, you can't let it go. The last five minutes, dragging up the past, or the last five hours, or the last five months, or the last five years, we just can't let it go. We can't live in the moment because we're dragging up the past. Or, he says, we're rushing into the future. We're planning the next big thing, the next, next big thing, the next big thing, the next big thing. And we can't live in the moment. And he says he'd learned two words, how to live in the moment. Great words. I want to give them to you. Two little words, just this, just this, just this. There's times, folks, we need to just experience just this, that just this is enough for the moment. Just this. I was uh, tweaking the sermon, which I'm prone to do, because I'm thinking about the future. I'm thinking you're going to be sitting out there and I got to get up here and speak in front of you. And I got to tweak this thing some more. And so I'm tweaking on the sermon and I'm thinking about the past week. And the reason I'm tweaking it now, because last week was busy and, you know, just things going on, just stuff. And then my granddaughter, Harper Grace, walks up to me. You got that picture? I took, I took the picture. I, did, I didn't get this picture. I didn't get a picture of the, of the, uh, of the lamb and two, the sheep and the two lambs. And I actually got a video of her. I said, I wanna, would you say that again for me? Because the Lord just hit me between the eyes. And I knew that Harper Grace was getting to get ready to go be with her dad for a week. And I wouldn't see her for many days. And she's standing there with the uh, match game. And says, J. Paul, in that quiet little voice, can you play with me? Can you play with me? And I knew that you could wait. I knew in that moment the sermon could wait. Just this. And then she beat me for the 17th straight time in the match game. Yeah. <laughs> Just this. First Peter says, humble yourself. Get, get, get off your high horse for just this under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he invites us to dwell in rest. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. As I read about sheep in uh, Keller's book, I, I'm not a farmer, so I don't know a lot about sheep. Uh, but for a sheep to sleep, everything must be right. No predators, no tension, no bugs, no hunger. And you know what I've learned about sheep is sheep can't get to those places by themselves. Keller says there's four things. There's fear. They won't sleep with fear. Friction. Flies. And famine won't sleep. Now, how many of you know those things to be true in your life? When you're full of fear, can you sleep? Fearful about something at work? Fearful about something at school? 
fearful about an upcoming doctor's visit, fearful about finances, and then friction. None of us rest well when there's friction and tension in the house. Those sharp words, those disagreements that escalate tension, friction. Then there's those pests, flies, you know, those things that just annoy you. Sheep can't rest, and neither can you when you're being pestered, just pest. And pest takes all shapes and sizes. And sheep won't even lie down if there's a bunch of flies or parasites bothering them. I was blessed this week to do the funeral for Randy Cox. Randy and I go back, we, we were turkey hunting buddies, and I, I took the privilege in his part of the eulogy was talking about his tenacity as a turkey hunter. If you know anything about turkey hunting, it's, it takes some tenacity to be good at turkey hunting. And I talked about his persistence. I talked about his preparation. I talked about his patience. I talked about his perfection and being able to talk to a turkey. Now, that sounds simple to some of you, but trust me, it's not easy to talk to a turkey. But then there was that thing that Randy was really good about. He was good with pest. He would put me in some of the most pest-infested places to hunt a turkey. Snakes, mosquitoes, ticks, occasional bobcat, pest. But he persevered through those pests. See, almost 12 years ago, Randy came down with tonsil cancer. He wasn't a believer in Jesus. He didn't know the good shepherd. As he battled that cancer, he, his story, he went to the Holy Roller Church and they laid hands on him and he was miraculously healed even before he knew Jesus as his shepherd. But that turned him on to Jesus. He became a, a witness for the Lord and passed out cards everywhere he went with scripture verses on him. With God, all things are possible. Why? Because Randy knew that, because the good shepherd had touched his life and taken rid, gotten rid of a pest, a thing called tonsil cancer. But three years ago, Randy had a horrible accident, spent a lot of months in the hospital, wasn't expected to live, another pest in his life. And I heard that he was sick. Frida said, hey, Randy Cox is sick. You need to give him a call. And Randy and, I, Randy and I hadn't talked in a long time. And I called him and he told me that he had stage four melanoma. This was last Tuesday, a week ago Tuesday. And uh, we talked and caught up and prayed together. And he told me, I'm ready. I'm ready to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I wanted to talk to him to plan his funeral, but he had a stroke before I had a chance and he died on Saturday. But I went to see him on Friday. And the only thing that Randy could do is when I talked to him about the Lord being the good shepherd, he could do this and this. You okay with the Lord? Things good? You ready to go home? Ready. It's a great place to be, folks, when you can do this and do this because you know you dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And his wife, Mary, said something very profound. She said, 
Cancer brought Randy to Jesus, and cancer took Randy home to Jesus. Those are pests. Those are troubles. And folks, we're going to have those in this life, and you need a good shepherd to guide you through those situations. The saddest things I do is stand here in this pulpit, and other pastors here this morning can, can echo this. When I stand in this pulpit and I got to do a funeral for someone, I'm not sure they knew the good shepherd. That's hard. Not this past Wednesday. This past Wednesday was one of the best funeral services I've ever been a part of because we celebrated somebody who knew the good shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Today, the Lord can take your fear. Today, the Lord can heal your friction. Today, the Lord can walk you through those pests of life and satisfy your hunger, your cravings. Now, how's he do it? Well, I want you to hear this very simply. Two things, how he meets those needs in your life is one, he makes you to lie down in green pastures. You know, it's a shepherd's job to find pasture, not the sheep's. That poor sheep, he want to say shep, it's a sheep, right? That poor sheep on Charter Oaks Road was looking for some green pastures. The problem is they had no shepherd to guide it to the green pastures. That's what a shepherd does. And we're to keep our eyes on the shepherd. In biblical times, the shepherds had to make the pasture. They had to clear the land. They had to cultivate it. And for us, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, his hands were scarred with nails to find a pasture for us. On the cross, he removed the boulders of sin. He planted in our hearts seeds of grace. He dug ponds of mercy. It's a gift to you this morning. It's a gift to you. You can't make your own pasture. Only the good shepherd can take you there. He leads me beside still waters. Now, it's important to know that he leads you. He won't yell at you. He won't chase you, but he'll lead you. He's out in front of you saying, come here, turn here, step here, watch your step there. Will you let him lead you into green pastures and still waters? And why does he take you there? Verse 3 says, simply so he can restore your soul. Restore your soul. Replenish your soul. We all have got one. It's our psyche. It's our being. It's who we are. Today, he wants to restore your soul. I learned this about sheep. I didn't know this about sheep. Uh, something that uh, is called being cast down. Some of you who are farmers know all about that. But we understand the, the concept. See, when a sheep gets full, it's eating a lot. Everything's good. It's satisfied. It's feeling good. You know what that's like, feeling good? And then the sheep wants to lay down, sit down on its front legs, on its stomach, kind of just kind of chill here a little bit. Then it wants to get a little more comfortable, right? It's going to ease over on the side and just kind of lay there on the side. And then if it's not careful, the equilibrium will switch. The sheep will turn up on his back or her back. And it's called casted, casted down. And that sheep is stuck there, can't get up. Legs up in the air. You've been there, right? Legs up in the air, can't get up. And then that sheep becomes vulnerable, vulnerable to wild animals, predators. Actually, it becomes a restriction of the extremities, and it can die within hours because it's being cast down. 
That's why shepherds count their sheep. I didn't know that. I always thought they'd count their sheep so they wouldn't lose anything. They're making sure they're not <laughs> got their legs up in the air. They're in trouble. They're cast down. And when a shepherd restores a cast down sheep, he reassures it. He, he massages its legs, gets the circulation going again, turns the sheep over, lifts it up, helps it regain its balance, and sets it on, on its way. Again, have you ever felt that way, cast down? You just can't get up? Overwhelmed? Maybe it's inner turmoil. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's sadness. Maybe it's isolation. I remind you that the evil one always wants to lead you into isolation so he can pick you off. And God calls you into community and the flock to hold you together. But the idea of restore means to repair. It means to refresh. It means to renew. Today, there's someone here whose soul needs to be restored. Let the Lord pick you up with his grace. Let the Lord help you regain your spiritual balance so you can focus on his love and his grace and what he wants you to do with your life. He wants to restore your soul. And there's some people here today that God wants you to go and help restore someone else's soul. He wants you to go to them and speak a word of mercy and a word of grace and help them rediscover God's love and God's purpose. And then, in order to experience the house of the Lord, we get to dwell in his presence. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over in the presence of the Lord. I love the TV show again in Fixer Upper. They oftentimes, Joanna Gaines will, will make this homemade table for the renovation this big, beautiful homemade table, and they'll set it right in the middle of the dining room or the kitchen. And it's a beautiful table because that's a place we gather. Folks, God has made us a table. It's right up there on the stained glass window, the, the table of the Lord. Down here in front, the table of the Lord reminds us that he wants us to come and, and be in his presence. He prepares a table for us. He makes provision for us. And you and I are guests at his creation table, not just on Sundays, every day. Here's the key. We got to show up. We got to sit down with him. We got to live in the moment. We got to seek first his kingdom. We got to listen for his voice. We got to learn his voice. We got to immerse ourselves at the table in prayer in God's word. My favorite verse, again, in New Testament, John 10, 10, I have come, says Jesus, that you might have life. I've come to give you life. Where do you get the life at? At the table, at God's table. And, and, and it's best to not sit alone at the table. Sit, sit with God's family at the table. Get in community. Invite God to your table in your home, but join with other believers at the table. And from provision, we find protection because the rest of John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have more abundantly, but the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. See, the shepherd was to protect the sheep from all kinds of predators. And folks, you and I need protection from evil in this world. We need a hedge of protection around our families. Every Friday morning, 
50, 60, 70 men gather together every Friday morning to pray a hedge of protection around this ministry, a hedge of protection around our staff, a hedge of protection around our children and our youth. It's working. Praise be to God. A hedge of protection. We need the protection of the Lord. First John says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The good shepherd is in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's greater than anything you'll confront in the world. Set at his table. There was a tragedy last month. Two young women and a nine-month-old child killed in a car wreck in Gainesville, Georgia. Their families were devastated, crushed. And a passing motorist took a picture. You may have saw, seen this. It went pretty viral. This scene the accident scene in this, this beam of light over the scene of the wreck. And this pastor by took this picture and then found out the names of the families and sent this picture to the parents and the families. And the mom said, I just needed something to show me that they were okay. I needed something to show me that they were in heaven. And that picture was my confirmation. Now, we don't all get a picture like that but I believe that the good shepherd has a quiet voice that he gives us words of encouragement in the midst of trouble. I want you to hear this, that in the presence of the Lord doesn't mean we won't have pain and we won't have problems, but he is greater than those problems. Randy Cox had a life that last 10 years full of pain and trouble and disease and pest, but he was at peace with God. Everything was okay because his home wasn't here. His home was in the sky with the Lord. Protection. I love what Psalm 27 says. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Is that your number one prayer? The thing I seek the most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, I don't expect you to live here. <laughs> we got to lock up the building here. But your house, your home can be the house of the Lord. Your heart can be the house of the Lord. And then finally, these great words. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in his house. What does that mean for us this morning? When, I mean, when he says, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? It means that we're part of a family, that we're part of a bigger family, that we belong to his flock, that we are sheep in his herd, that I'm a part of the family of God. All of you are in the family if you know the good shepherd. And we need to love each other as family. We need to treat each other as family. This is, this is God's family. And we need to reach out to those who have not yet discovered the invitation that they belong in God's family too. They've been invited to come and dwell in his family. And you know, what a blessing. And again, don't try to live out your Christian life in isolation. Be a part of the family. Get involved in a class. Get involved in a small group. Get involved in a study. Get involved in a ministry. Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You're not going to get to heaven solo, 
on, you know, you, you know, you're not going to get there and say, I, I want that island over there. I want that island by itself over there. That ain't going to happen that way. You're going to be part of the family of God. Amen? And I'm so glad to be a part of the family of God, aren't you? And then, obviously, when we dwell in the house of the Lord forever, our future is covered. Right? Future. Covered. Got it. Jesus said in John 14, as he prepared to face the cross the next day, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, everything is right, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Where am I? Where's he going to be at? His father's house. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 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 Eternal life is an incredible gift of God. Are you ready? Are you good? Thanks be to God. There's an old, old story of King Edward II out walking with his queen late one evening. And then she suddenly stepped in a hole, twisted her ankle badly, too far from the castle to get help. So he walks her to the porch of a commoner's cabin that had already gone to bed, and the king pounds on the door. And as someone says, who's there? I've already gone to bed. He said, it's Edward, your king, let me in. And the man shouted back, you're right, right. Enough of your pranks. Be off and let a man get some sleep. But King Edward kept pounding until the man, in anger and in frustration, grabbed his walking stick, ran to the door and said, I'll teach you a lesson. And in the light of his candle, he saw indeed it was his king. And he knelt down on the porch and asked for forgiveness and invited King Edward into his home so the queen could get the help that she needed. As you might imagine, for years, he would tell the story of the night the king showed up at his door, how the king came to his cabin, how he helped the queen as he sat by the fire with his pipe and telling the story, and he'd say this, you know, I almost didn't let him in. I almost didn't let him in. Revelation 3.20 reminds us the words of Jesus, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, I will come in to him in their heart and fellowship with him. For, friends, the king is knocking on your door. He wants to come in. Will you receive him? Is your heart broken? Is your soul cast down? Are you living in the midst of a disaster? Things are falling apart in your life. Right now, in this moment, he can change that. He can guide you. He can direct you. He can give you hope. He can give you peace. He can lead you to greener pastures and still waters. He can restore your soul. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I thank you that you have brought us here today to restore our souls. And Father God, we 
bring our hearts to you. We bring our souls to you. We're, we're, we're wide open right now. We can, hear, we can hear you knocking on the door of our hearts. There's a pounding going on. I need to do that. I need to let this go. I need to give in. I need, I, need to, I need to open the door. I need to trust you, Lord. I need to bring into, you into my mess. Will you come into my mess right now? Will you, Lord, will you come into my brokenness right now? And the Lord says, yes. I want you to know this morning as we pray to the Lord, you don't have to clean up your mess before he comes in. He will come in and clean the mess. So, Lord, right now, clean our messes. Wash away our sins through the blood of Jesus shed on a cross. Lord, help us to walk into green pastures and, and, and to sit beside the still waters. And, Lord, right now, I pray right now that through the grace of Jesus, through the grace of Jesus, that right now souls are being restored. And, Lord, teach us to hear your voice to listen, to sit at your table. Lord, I pray you would provide what your people need. I pray you protect your people as they go. And we'll celebrate what you've done here today. Thank you, Lord, right now for changing someone's heart in the name of Jesus. Thank you for restoring someone's soul right now in the name of Jesus. Lord God, work in us now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.